Well, amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, or 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, and uh, we'll read down to verse 15 as we read this morning, and again, want to preach on the Holy Bible, and uh, we talked about in the Holy Bible of the devil's plan, and we want to give you that, and as we may finish here tonight, the message that we started this morning concerning the Holy Bible. So if you would, in honor of God's Word, let's stand to our feet one more time, and then we'll just sit for an hour or so uh, to enjoy the evening. Amen. Verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. To continue thou in things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and the instruction of in righteousness. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Yes. We thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. Thank you for the songs that have been sung, the special tonight. We ask you, God, to bless each life, each heart, each home. We pray tonight, God, as we preach on the word of God, that you'll help us to understand it more clearly. God, as we bring in the history of uh, our world and the uh, history of the Bible, history of Rome, the history of the church, dear God, and and these truths and these facts, God, and where we are today and how we got what we have as far as the Bible is concerned, God, that we may understand it clearly. We might see the very work of God. God, we may appreciate, dear God, all that you went through and all that you've done in these days, dear God, in order to bring us a Bible, uh, Lord, that we can trust in, we can believe in, and God, that we can love. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning, in the way of recap, we'll just mention the highlights because we've already preached this. But in the way of the devil's plans, we notice the devil's deception. We see the devil's deception because we recognize in verse 13, it says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We learned that in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, the Bible says that Satan, the devil, is the deceiver of the world. And he deceiveth the world. We know that to be true. John chapter 8 verse 44 says that, G, that the devil is a liar. And he has been a liar from the beginning. And so we see that this devil is a one who is a, of the deception. And is he one that is of a lie. We find in the way of our Bible study or Bible preaching tonight. We find in this deception of the devil in order for us to get another Bible or get a, get a Bible that's not real or a Bible that's not true uh, because he wants, and we learned that through the scripture this morning, uh, this, from this morning, that he doesn't want anybody to believe and be saved. Right. And that's why he would do what he's doing and why he's doing as he has done. We found in this morning in the devil's deception, the beginning from from the beginning with man. We went to Genesis chapter six, chapter 3. We talked about what the devil said to Eve. And, and uh, how he added to the, the word of God. And how he has taken away from the word of God. 
And then we went to the beginning with Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 6. And how he added to the scripture. And how he took away from the scripture. And we've seen very clearly and very plainly these truths. And then we found uh, that the devil also, in, in as we went to uh, the great Luke chapter 8 and verse 5, we found how the, from the beginning with the church and how that was souls, the sowing of the seed, which is the word of God, and how the devil would come as a fowl of the air and to devour it and uh, so that they would not believe and be saved. And so we find the deception of the devil beginning in with man in Genesis 3, also beginning with Jesus in Matthew 4, and also beginning in the church in Luke chapter 8. We found the corrupting of God's word in Paul's day in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 17. We also found in that day that we found false prophets that Jesus mentioned in Matthew 7, 15. Also, we found false apostles in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 and 14. Paul also spoke of false brethren in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 4. He also spoke of false teachers in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. And then he began to talk about false doctrines. We found that the doctrine of Jesus is singular, Luke chapter 4. We found the doctrine of God is singular in John chapter 7, verse 16. We found that the doctrine of the apostles was singular, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We found that the doctrine of Paul in Acts 13, 12 was singular, the doctrine of the Lord. We found that Paul began to instruct the church in Romans 16 and verse 17 about contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. He talked about the direction that he gave the church in Ephesians chapter 4. He said that thou henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby the, they lie in wait to deceive. Paul warns the church in 1 Timothy 1 3 uh, as I besought thee to abide still in Ephesus when I went to Macedonia that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine singular we found that Paul teaches the church in 2 Timothy 3.16 all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine singular Amen. we find the doctrine of the scripture Titus chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 called sound doctrine we found the doctrine of the church in 2 John uh, 9 and 10. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, singular, uh, hath not God. And he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, singular, he hath not both the, son, the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and being not of this doctrine, singular, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. We found two other types of doctrines. The doctrines of men in Colossians chapter 2 verse 22. Which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines plural of men. Whenever God is speaking of his doctrine it's singular. There's one doctrine, one Bible, one manuscript, one text. And when he talks about the doctrines of men, there's many. There in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 
and verses 1 through 2, we find the doctrines of the devils. Now the Spirit expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines, plural, of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. The devil is behind every false doctrine, right. every false Bible, every false manuscript, every false text. He's behind every false prophet, behind every false teacher, behind every false apostle, behind every false brethren, behind every false uh, teaching that ever comes forth and comes out. The devil is behind it. God is behind the doctrine, the inspired, preserved, inerrant, infallible, perfect, holy, authorized word of God. And Amen. that's what he is behind tonight. And there's only one of them. And so we have seen this morning the devil's deception. And if you want to learn more about that, then I guess you could listen to it uh, this morning on Sermon Audio or on our website or something like that. Now tonight, Brother Wade is sick and, and Sister Cindy's sick tonight. And there'll be no recording of this. And so uh, whatever we get, we get tonight. And so whenever I'm not recording, I'm just free. Amen. And so anyway, I want you to say, I want to show you number two tonight, not only the devil's deception, but I want you to show you the devil's, de uh, I guess you'd say his, uh, his coming out, his debut. Let's put it like that. And uh, we find, uh, first of all, I just want to give you a little recap from last Sunday, the Texas Receptus text. Now, what is the Texas Receptus text? Te the Texas Receptus text is the text that your King James Bible is, is, is translated from. The text is in Greek, and this is in English. Right. And so we find the Texas Receptus, it's all called, also called the traditional text. It's also called the majority text. And that text is where we get our King James Version Bible from. That text, if you remember, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, there was the Antioch Church. At the Antioch church, in Acts chapter 13, verse 12, Paul is preaching, he is preaching the Antioch doctrine. Uh -huh. The Antioch doctrine is the doctrine of the Lord, according to that verse. We find that in, in uh, around 300, or between 240 and 312, is this man called Lucian of Antioch. Lucian of Antioch was one uh, that had manuscripts. Uh, he was one that took the Greek text, uh, we call it the Byzantine text, uh, which is the Greek text. Back in 380 A.D., uh, this became published. Mm -hmm. And this man, this Antioch and Lucian, he took all the manuscripts, the, the ones that he could find that are written. Manuscript means a written uh, document. And so we don't have no originals, but he took the written documents of the originals and he brought them together and came up with a text called the Lucian text. We find after that, uh, there was a man, and they called it also the Byzantine text, and because it was in Byzantine. Erasmus, uh, he was the one who put in all those texts together, even from the one of, of Lucian of Antioch. And so we find that the text that we're talking about, where the King James Version Bible comes from, comes from Antioch. And so Erasmus, he put that text together, and he calls it the Texas Receptus. We find in 1522 that the Tyndale Bible, that was English, 
has come to publishing. We find that in 1528 through 36, the Coverdale Bible comes into publishing of English. Then we found the 1537, the Matthews Bible came into English. We found the Great Bible, which just means it was bigger words and had bigger uh, phrases so people could see it better. Uh, that came about at the same time. 1560, we came up with the Geneva Bible that was English. 1568, the Bishop Bible, which was English. And the seventh revision or the seventh Bible, the seventh text in which uh, we could call uh, the Bible that was in English come up is the King James Version Bible. Uh -huh. And we talked about that last week and just wanted to let you know about that. So this was the authorized. The King James Bible was the authorized Bible. The English Bible, it was translated again from the Texas Receptus, the received text, the majority text. And that's where we get our King James Version from that text, which come from Antioch. Oh. That's an important point here tonight. Now, there are two other texts where every other Bible comes from. Uh -huh. The NIV and any other version that we have out there today comes from the Sinaiticus and the Vicaritis. Mm. That's very well-known text. There are manuscripts, I'd say. So the Sinaiticus and the Vicaritis manuscripts. Now, how did they come into being? Well, it came into being 165 to 168. There was a man named Justin Martyr. Yes, Justin was martyred. He was a martyr for the things in which he was doing uh, in the way related to the church. Uh, we find uh, he was born the same year that John, uh, who wrote the Revelation, died. That's, that's kind of odd. Uh, that John the Revelator, John the, the author, the John of the one that was on the Isle of Patmos, he died, and all of a sudden this Justin fella came to be. We find he taught in Rome. He, was, he mixed his teaching of the Bible with philosophy, and with, he took Christian doctrine, and he mixed it in with worldly mindedness. And worldly thought process. And, and so he was uh, taking the, the Bible, or taking the scriptures in which he would have of that day, it would be of the out of Antioch. It's all you had. And so he would take that and mix it with philosophy and mix it with his own little mix. And that's where all this stuff began to come. He was opposed to Tertullian. Tertullian was a forefather for you and I in our churches. Uh, where we came from, we'll learn about him later, but, but Tertullian, he was opposed to him, for Tertullian was a man that stood for God, loved the Lord, loved the Bible, loved the church, and uh, anyway, he stood against him. And there was a man under his tutorage of Justin, his name was Talitan, T-A-T-I-A-N, he was a student of Justin, uh, he recorded Justin's heresies. Because when you start putting into the Bible, adding to the Bible, you start finding heresy. Right. Amen? And so he was adding to the Bible, and there was heresies now. So this man, a Titanian, he recorded these heresies. He, he probably wrote them out and, and handwritten them. In 150 AD, he placed them into a Bible version called Dieterison. 
And so that in 150 AD, there was a Bible version of this perversion that came from this man named Justin. Uh, uh, they had the they had the Texas Receptus of this day, uh, but uh, they considered the Texas Receptus to be corrupt, and so they didn't want anything to do with that corrupt manuscript, or that corrupt text, and so they had their own. They found two hundred copies uh, by this man named Syrian Bishop uh, called the Theodore, and they threw it away. They threw away two hundred copies of this copy of the Texas Receptus because it was the, the, the text that was corrupted. Clemente, or Clement, was a student of Italian, And he founded the school in Alexandria, Egypt in 200 AD. He was an intellectual man. He was a philosopher. He hated the Christians of Antioch. He called the Christians of Antioch just stupid people. They were dumb people. They didn't know anything. They didn't know nothing about the God. They didn't know nothing about the Bible. They didn't know nothing about the Christ. And so he, he turned his, his ways against the Antioch people, the Antioch church, the Antioch schools, and the Antioch manuscripts he was totally against. He was a supporter of agnostics and of heretics. We find the man that came after him was named called Origen. Y'all might have seen this guy's name, O-R-I-G-E-N. And so he was a student of Clement. Now he was the one who really put things into action here. He was the one, him and Clement of Alexandria, uh, the corrupted manuscripts of the corrupted versions we have today came from this man's work out of Westcott and Hart. We'll figure that in a minute. Now this man here castrated himself because he said in Matthew chapter 19, if you're going to be a true man of God, you'll be castrated. That's the guy. This origin guy was the guy who was the beginning of the Sinaiticus and the Bacchinus manuscripts. This was the one who kind of put it all together after all of the other leaders of that group. We find tonight that this man, he had some beliefs. He believed the Holy Spirit was a feminine force. The Holy Spirit is a he. Amen. That's nothing feminine about that. Uh, he believed his soul sleep. He believed in baptismal regeneration, meaning that the only way you can get saved is to get baptized. Mm -hmm. He also believed that Jesus Christ is a created being. He says that Jesus was never God. He believed in purgatory. He believed in drinking the blood and eating the body at the Lord's Supper was the real blood of Jesus and the real body of Jesus. Mm -hmm. He believed in reincarnation of the soul. He didn't believe that the temptation to Jesus never happened. That wasn't true. He said Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 3 are myths. That was not true, neither. And uh, we find that he believed that eternal life was not a gift, that Christ uh, enters into no man, and there's no resurrection of believers. Now, this man is a man that put together what we know today as the, as the manuscripts that is used for all other versions tonight be, to be published from. This, the Antioch manuscripts, they were all tore apart because they were being used and they were being here and they were being there. And he tore, he tore those apart. They took the manuscripts of, Ani, of the, Ani, the, Ani, the, uh, the manuscripts of the Lucian of Antioch 
And he just ripped them to pieces. When I say ripped them to pieces, he was adding, he was taking away, he was, uh, he was removing completely, and uh, he adopted his own beliefs into a version of this Antioch version that we had. He created a, a, a version called Hexapala, and at this time, he took out 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7, and that's why they don't have it in those versions today. It took, it took place right here, and that man did that because he didn't want... He said Antioch's version was corrupted, and he, it was upon him and all the rest before him to make correction, to make it right, for it's all been corrupted in the past. After... This man, Origen, came was another man named Eusebius. Eusebius was a student of Origen. In 313, Constantine called for 50 Bibles. Eusebius had manuscripts from Antioch, but he chose the manuscripts from Alexandria, Egypt, the one that we just got to be talking about. And those manuscripts from, from, uh, from Egypt, is the first one is called Vicanus manuscript. Now where was this Vicanus manuscript found? Well it was found at the Vatican Library in 1481. It was rejected by Erasmus. Now Erasmus was the one in 1516 if you remember how he's the one that took the, the uh, Lucian, the, Antioch, the, the, the one from Antioch and all of those handwritten manuscripts he brought them down in Greek and it was Erasmus that put all the Greek texts called the Texas Receptus. That's your, that was Erasmus. Well, he, he was one that rejected that. And so he said, no, we don't want that. So we took the Vicanus manuscript. It was found in excellent condition. This uh, Vicanus manuscript. There's no history of this manuscript before 1481. It was written on expensive vellum. And there was no missing sections. Now what's important about this is this. Is this manuscript was sitting there in the Vatican library on a shelf. And it was in perfect shape. There was nothing missing out of it. There was nothing uh, used about it. It seemed like it's never been used. It's never been used. It's just been sitting there. Now that's important. Because they have not heard of this manuscript except 1481. Now, Sinaiticus manuscripts, they came into existence in 1844. It was found in a trash can there in Egypt. It was found by a man named Constantine Simotis Tischendorf. Uh, it was to be used to fix the Texas Receptus or fix the King James Version Bible. Uh, it was used to to find to, to make sure that that what we have uh, as the King James Version Bible is to be corrected, is to be uh, what we need to be true and genuine. And this text here was that purpose. It was in a monastery in a trash can where this was found. Now between Sinaiticus and between Vaticanus, those two manuscripts were every Bible. Listen, every Bible of modern versions except the King James Version Bible comes from these two manuscripts. Mm -hmm. Those two manuscripts, I just told you where they were found and when they were found. Those two manuscripts between each other, there's 3,000 
and 36 variations. In other words, I'm saying that this one bacchinus and this one sacchinus has over 3,000 differences. Now, would you say that's the same? You remember the doctrines? Plural. Plural. There's two. And within themselves, there's 3,000 differences that they don't, they don't match. So these two manuscripts or these two texts don't match. Now, how do you take anything and make anything out of anything that don't match? Well, you got a Bible that don't match. But anyway, we find here that Westcott and Hart were the two, I guess you call them the two scholars. Uh, they were the two men uh, that, were, that were Christian. They say they were both Catholic. Uh, they were both men that decided that they need to replace the King James Version Bible and they need a better version. Uh, they need something uh, that's more reliable. And so they decided, Westcott and Hart decided that they are going to be the very ones in order to bring the English-speaking people a finally a Bible that has something to do with God that's true and genuine and that will help the world. Westcott and Hart. They took the Bacchinus and they took the Sinaitis and they said, we're going to put together a Bible in the English from these two texts and it will supersede and go over and above the King James Version and man, it's going to be a wonderful thing. Now they called the Texas Receptus vile. That's what they called it. They called it a vile text. They accused Antioch as bad translators and translations. They said it's unreliable text of Scripture. Now in 1881, 1881, Westcott and Hart took the Bicinus and the Sicinus and they made a New Testament in the original Greek from Westcott and Hart. That's what they did. And so we find in 1881 was this New Testament of the original Greek from Westcott and Hart from the Sinaiticus and from the Vicinus. Now, they took the Texas Receptus, the, the traditional text, and they have changed it over 5,600 5, places. In the Texas Receptus that they took, where we get our King James Bible, in order for their Bibles, they began to make omissions in the Texas Receptus. And they made 1,952 omissions. In other words, they took out of the Texas Receptus. They 467 additions to the Texas Receptus. There was 3,085 changes that was made. There was 4,366 word additions, making it 9,970 altercations that they did to the Texas Receptus. All modern English New Testament translation are from the text of Westcott and Hart, like the NIV. 
NIV being the most popular Bible in the churches today. Now let's talk about, just for a moment, what did Westcott or Westcott believe? You'd think tonight if he would be one who's going to take on the, the, very, the very mind of bringing us a better Bible, bringing us a more correct Bible, more, a Bible that's more reliable, then you would think that that man, whoever he is, or those two men, whoever they are, that they would come up with something uh, that would be superior than the King James Version Bible, meaning that they're going to have to have some beliefs about them that is, uh, you know, admired. Well, this is what Westcott believed. And I can't give you all of it for the sake of time, but I'll give you. He denies Genesis 1 through 3. He said that didn't even happen. He didn't believe in the Garden of Eden. He didn't believe in the serpent. He didn't believe in the fall of man. He didn't believe in any of that. And he is the one that's putting these manuscripts together in order to make a text called, called the NIV uh, tonight. And he don't believe in that. Now, he don't believe in the atonement of Jesus Christ. He don't believe Jesus died on the cross. He don't believe his blood was the atonement for our sins. Uh, he don't believe uh, tonight that Jesus was the Savior of the world. The atonement that he believed was by incarnation. That's what he believed. Uh, heaven only existed in the mind. There was no such thing as a heaven. No such thing as a place you go when you die. All that was was just a mind thing. Heaven is just where you think it is. Uh -huh. He also believed that you can receive prayers from the dead. And so those that are praying uh, that are dead, uh, he said, I can hear them and I'll receive them. He was an admirer of Mary as well. So then what was Hart's beliefs, his old cohort in this, in this endeavor? Well, he didn't believe in Eden as well. He didn't believe in the fall of man. Uh, he, believed, he believed that atonement was immoral. He believed also heaven is only in the mind. He believed communicating with the dead. And so there were, there's dead people. He could talk to them. They can talk to him. And they can have conversation. And they can have a good old time. He admired Mary. And he believed in evolution. So this was the man or the men that took on the West, who were Westcott and Hart, who took on the Bacchinus and the Sicinus there, and they put together a Greek Bible in the New Testament. And in Hebrew, they used uh, tonight the Septuagint and not the, the one that we used, uh, the Masoretic. And so we find the Masoretic was used in the Old Testament in the Hebrew that we used, which is the pure, uh, unadulterated uh, Old Testament uh, manuscripts. Uh, they used the Septuagint uh, that was not. And then we used the Texas Receptus tonight, and they used... The Bacchinus and the Sacchinus and these two Westcott and Hart men put together a modern version. For example, the NIV. So if you take the NIV and you take the KJV tonight and you say, okay, these two, the two weren't the two Bibles tonight, so-called Bibles, uh, they are used real familiar. I mean, you listen to the TV preachers, they got the NIV. Uh, you go into most churches today, they got the NIV. It don't matter if you go to a Presbyterian, you go to a Methodist, you go to Church of Christ, you go to Pentecostal, you go to any of those, you're going to find the NIV. It's going to be the most used Bible in all this preaching and all this teaching and all these Bibles. But if you take the NIV and you compare it to the KJV, we find that there are 64,000 words that are omitted. So the KJV has 64,000 more words than the NIV. Does that sound like the same to you? 
There are 36,000 changes that are made from the NIV to the KJV. The removal of verses. Matthew chapter 17, verse 21. is gone out of NIV. Matthew 18, 11 is gone. Mark chapter 11, verse 26, gone. Luke chapter 4, verse 8, gone. Acts chapter 8, verse 37, gone. Chapter 23, verse 9, gone. Romans chapter 13, verse 9, gone. Do I need to repeat those for those that are making the... I'll repeat them one more time. Matthew 17, 21, 18, 11. Mark 11, 26. Luke 4, 8. Acts 8, 37. Acts 23, 9. Romans 13, 9. Those are just removed. The NIV just don't have them in their Bibles. They're just omitted. We find the changes of verses. They change Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13. They change Matthew 25 and 13. They change Mark 10, 24. They change Luke 4, 4. They change John 6, 47. And they change John 10, 30. They change 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. I need to say those again tonight for those that are writing them down. I say it one more time. Matthew 9, 13. Matthew 25, 13. Mark 10, 24. Luke 4, 4. John 6, 47. John 10, 30. Chapter, I mean, 1 John 5, 7. We find tonight as being removed or changed. So the question tonight in this, in this debut of, of this devil tonight in what he's doing and how he's doing it tonight, you can find uh, that there was a change in the midst of the King James Version Bible. Amen? And so with that change came, they wanted to make a better change. They wanted to take the corrupted, which was the Texas Receptus, and they want to fix it with the, with the Sikinus and the Vicinus, and they wanted to make sure that the world has an English Bible that is superior and that is better and that is easier and that is more powerful than we have. And yet what they've done is they changed that Bible and it's now less than the King James Bible because of the omitting, omissions and then because of the changes. Amen? And that's just that's the NIV versus the KJV. Lastly tonight I want to say about the devil's dates. The devil's dates. Now I want you to stay with me closely tonight on this point or in this point. The King James Bible, English Bible, was translated from the Texas Receptus 1611. 1611. They call it sometimes the 1611 Bible, which is not what you have, but that's what they call it. Now, in 1881, Westcott and Hart, I'll just explain who that was to you all ago. That's when they decided that they're going to need a Bible to come forth into the English-speaking people. Well, from 1611 
1881 is 234 years. So for 234 years, the churches all over the world were using the King James Bible. Amen. For 234 years. There was no need for any correction. There was no need for anything that was considered to be better. For 234 years, this Bible was in play. It was in churches. It was in homes. It was in hearts. It was in lives. So they come in 1881. Again, they found the Sinaiticus in 1844. They're in a wastebasket in Egypt. In 1845, they find the Vacatus Greek text in a library shelf in Rome. Now, this is interesting. 1517 was the Reformation. We all know what the Reformation was, don't we? That's whenever there was a breakthrough and a breakout of the Catholic Church. If you remember, in 1516 was when Erasmus come forth with the Texas Receptus. And so as soon as he comes out with the Texas Receptus, the pure text, next thing you know, there's a reformation. Isn't that strange tonight? That in 1516, we find the Texas Receptus is now out. 1517, the Reformation takes place. What happens at the Reformation is this. The Protestants... They took the text, Texas Receptus. The Catholics, they took the Alexandrian text, which is Sinaiticus and Bacchus. The West got hard. That's what they took. The Catholic, they took their text back to Alexandria, back to Egypt, and we took the Texas Receptus as a Protestant around the world. The Protestants were growing. The Protestants were spreading. The Protestants were taking the word of God and all things were well with the Texas Receptus, uh, what was going on at that time and at that, at that situation in life. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation with me and chapters uh, 2 and 3 we're going to be at. I'm going to give you a timeline tonight to let you see something that may have been of interest of you uh, that may be bored up to this point. Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 gives us a lineup, gives us a schedule of things that's going to take place in the way of ages. The seven churches gives us seven ages from the time of 30 AD to where we are tonight in 2024. Now, first of all, I want to say tonight, and we'll go quickly through these because of the time-wise, but uh, there in between 30 A.D. and 100 A.D., the Ephesus church in chapter 2, verse 1, was that age period. And during the Ephesus, the Ephesus church, or the Ephesian church tonight, the word Ephesus means desired one. Meaning tonight that what God is saying at the time of 30 A.D. when Jesus was here, all the way up to 100 A.D. when John died, 
we find tonight uh, that he said, my church is the desired one. It's the one that I desired. I started it. Uh, they were empowered by the Holy Ghost of God. Uh, they were going around the world preaching. The Bible says in Acts, they turned the world upside down. That was this period of time. It lasted from 30 A.D. to 100. All right, good time for the church. I mean, the church was really sprouting. The church was really moving. The church was really going. But then the second period of church is the church of Smyrna. Look there with me there in uh, uh, verse 8. And the angel of the church of Smyrna. Now, what was Smyrna? Well, the word Smyrna means bitter. It means Bitter because this was the period of time of 54 A.D. to 312 A.D. And those timelines, friend, was the time when they were persecuted by Rome. You can look up in history. You can look up into all your books if you want to and find these timelines to be perfect. So 50 A.D. to 312 A.D., the church came under 10 different Roman emperors that were just torturous toward the church. I mean, killing people on the stakes, burning them on the stakes, killing them alive. I mean, they were just all over the church, all over the Bibles. Everything was trying to be uh, was trying to be removed. Everything was trying to be taken out. Uh, they hated the Christian. They hated the Bible. They hated all that Christians stand for. And there was persecution like ever before between 54 A.D. to 312. The next church is called the Pergamon Church. You look at that with me tonight. As you look at the, the Pergamon Church, you'll find tonight in verse 12, and the angel of the, of the church in Pergamus, right? These things said he which is sharp sword with two edges. Now the Pergamon Church is a period of time between 312 A.D. to 600 A.D. Now what happened in that period of time? Well, the word Pergamon means marriage. You know what was married? 312, what happened? Constantine came on the scene. And Constantine took the Roman Empire called Byzantine. And he said to the church of that day, Now we are all going to be Christians. The whole Roman Empire of Christian. He ran his whole army through the lakes and through the waters. Did you know that? He ran his, all his army. They went down into the water. They come out of the water. And they were all baptized right there. That's how he did it. So all of Rome now is Christianized. Now at that point right there, I'm talking about a devil date. And this is one of the devil dates. At 312, the church has got through coming under the horrible persecution that they ever have faced in the entire church age. Constantine comes on and marries the church. And now Rome is now Christian. Christian is now Rome. Uh, Constantine is now in charge. He's the one who's going to do the popes. He's the one who's going to bring the purgatory, the, uh, the, the very doctrines like purgatory, uh, the worship of Mary, infant baptism, uh, the, the very things that Catholicism holds tonight is where all this came in from this period, 312 to 600. Mm -hmm. Study the history of Catholicism. It's because of Pergamon Church, that period of time was married. Now, they all thought, well, this is good. This is, this is great. 
But you know what was happening right there? Was the church was doing great. I'm talking about the true church. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was moving on and moving out. And doing exactly what God would have it to do. Then all of a sudden. Here comes Constantine and says. Oh wait hold on. Hold on. I want to take you and I want to marry you. And I want to change you. And now. The word Catholic means universal, and that's where Catholic Church started, or the Catholic Church started right there in 312 as a universal church for everybody in Rome. So now what's going on is the church is now married to Rome, but those that are in the true church are still going away from Rome, right? They're not going to be connected to Rome and, and what Rome is doing and what Rome is saying and how Rome is trying to, to tell these doctrines that are not in the Bible but bring in doctrines. And the true church is saying, no, the other ones are coming together and it's called Christianity, it's called Catholicism, it's called a big church because it's big Rome. And for about from 312 to 600, all these doctrines are now filled in to the Catholic Church. Well, these over here, by the way, is where the Baptist Church comes from, is this over here. The Baptist Church never came out of the Protestants. The church, the Catholic Church, I mean, the Baptist Church is not a Protestant church. The Catholic Church did not come out of the Reformation. The Baptist Church tonight comes right out of the Lord Jesus Christ and its doctrines and its teachings. The independent fundamental Baptist. And we'll, we'll teach on that here lately. But, but we find out of that group, the true church, you find they're in the Texas Receptus. We find now on this side here of Catholicism, they done took on the Westcott and Horn. The manuscripts. The ones that were of the Vancanus and the Sakinus. You know, we have to go back to Oregon. Got to go back to Tillian. Got to go back to those guys. And that's where all that came from. Justin the Martyr. All those texts in which they used, that's what the Catholic Church used. That's what the church in that day took on. This was a time where the devil said, I got to stop the church. Right? From, what, from 30 to 100, and the church is in persecution, and he comes in and says, I got to do something here. And sure enough, he did. The Catholic Church is demonic tonight. They're full of idols. Full of demonic activity. They're full of wickedness. They're full of evil. And it happened on 312 A.D. This is an important date that you need to know. When he hijacked the church on this day. Amen? Let's keep on going. So we find in this timeline that Jesus has given us is after the Pergamon, the marriage of Rome with the church called the Catholic Church, we find the church of Thyatira there in verse 18. It says, Under the angel of the church of Thyatira, right? And we find that Thyatira means continual sacrifice. Right here is where the Catholic Church began to dominate called the Dark Ages. And in the Dark Ages, this timeline was this, 600 to 1500. 600 to 1500. And during that time of 600 to 1500, Catholicism ruled the world. It ruled nations. It took over people. It was the dominant religion 
of the whole world. Today, Catholicism is the largest religious organization in all the world. The richest, by the way, is the Catholicism tonight. And so we find during this period of 600 to 1500, not only were all the doctrines in play, but the popes were coming through. The popes were stepping up. They were buying lands. They were taking over nations. They were, they were influencing leaders. Uh, uh, they were uh, building schools. They were uh, building colleges. They were talking of their agendas and their doctrines. And it became very large. That's why it says thy tower remains continual sacrifice. That is continued, 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 continued. The true church is being persecuted by this church. The true church is being told that they're wrong and, and they're, they're rebellious and they're stubborn and their doctrine in which they have is the wrong doctrine and the Catholic Church is the right doctrine. And so we find that period of time the Thyatira Church was the Dark Ages. You ever heard of the Dark Ages? If you have, you can look it up. The next period of time is between 1500 and 1700 and it's called the Sardis Church. And we find that in verse chapter 3, verse 1, under, under the angel of the church of Sardis. Now, the word Sardis, it means, the very mean Sardis means escaping ones. It means coming out. And guess what happened in 1517? The Reformation. And so we find that the Reformation begins... We find that the King James Bible in 1611 comes to be. We find that the church, the Catholic church that had a hold and had a grip in the way that they would do things, they had their Bibles in Latin. And they would, they would not let people understand Latin. They didn't want people to read the Bible. They didn't want people to know anything about the Bible. And Fred, they had it in Latin. They preached in Latin. They taught in Latin. Everything was Latin. And everybody else didn't understand Latin. Matter of fact, you could go to jail or be imprisoned or even killed if you was a Catholic in those days and read a Bible. And so we find in this period of 1500 to 1700, the escaping ones. That means people are now, the Protestants are coming out of the Catholic Church. The ones are saying, no, we're against what you're saying. And now the Catholic Church is trying to hold on to a grip, but they're losing the grip. And people are just fleeing out of the Catholic Church. That's why I call the escaping ones. Now the Protestants. Tonight they are, now the churches are being, are being forth and coming forth. And the people out of the Catholic Church that were Catholic priests, like Martin Luther, and others tonight are now coming out. And so they're escaping Catholicism. And so that's that period of time when that happened. The King James Bible again in 1611 is now published English out. The finally, the true word of God is now given to the world. The King James Bible. The next period is between 1700 and 1900. The Philadelphia church in verse 7 of chapter 3 says, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. Now what does Philadelphia mean? It means brotherly love. So what happened between the times of 1700 and 1900? Now remember now, 1611, the King James Bible came out. 
This right here is another devil date. Another devil date. What do you mean by the devil date? This is a time whenever uh, in the 1700s to the 1900s, the church, uh, the, the people that came out of the Catholic church got born again. And now they're part of the true church. And they're part of the church that's always been. That wasn't hijacked by Constantine. So what's going on now? Well, 1719, uh, you know, 1700 to 1900, if you would probably take your songbook tonight and you'd look up the dates of your songbook, uh, you'd finally, you'll see that uh, many of the songs that you find in your songbook are in that dates. So our songbook between 1700 and 1900 was being written by who? By godly people. Right? So between 1700 and 1900, we find there is a missionary effort like you've never seen before. Missionaries were being called out to all the world. The missionaries were being sent forth. They were going out from every place reaching people for Christ. There's never been a time between the 1700s and the 1900s of evangelistic movement. Hundreds and thousands were getting saved. There was revivals all over. And people were getting right with God. And people were coming closer unto the Lord. The songs were written in the hymns. Revivals and churches were started. And things were moving unto God. You've never seen such a movement in the 1700s to the 1900s. The Philadelphia was that, was that period of time tonight. And you'll find that all of our great preachers. And all of our great missionaries. And all of the great pastors. And, and all of those that you hear tonight. Like Charles Spurgeon and D.L. Moody and, uh, and others tonight. Yet that's where they came from. They came from 1700 to 1900. Friend, you'll find a great explosion for two years. The brotherly love that God's people got filled with the Holy Ghost of God because of the King James Bible. The King James Bible was going forth to all the world and God's power and authority was coming in the lives of folks and people were getting called to preach and called to the mission field. Things were happening. God was moving. The world has never seen such a movement as this, friend. And we find tonight during that period of time uh, folks like this, and I'll read it to you. I made a list of it uh, tonight. People like this, you may have heard their names before. John Wesley. 1703 to 1791. Charles Wesley wrote over 6,000 hymns. Uh, we find that John Wesley started the Methodist Church. William Carey, the British Christian missionary that went over there, the, in, the first Baptist missionary to India. He had the first contribution to start schools of impoverished children of reading and writing and counting. Christianity opened the first theological university uh, in the divinity degrees. Uh, the colleges that were founded during this period of time that taught people to be missionaries and to be evangelists and to be pastors was the church. You ever heard of Harvard College? Harvard College tonight in the 1700s was one that was built up and created by Christians. To prepare the men of God to go out into the world and to evangelize during this period of time. 
You ever heard of Yale? Yale was another Christian college. In 1701, uh, uh, in 1795, the president addressed the students on the subject of the Bible is the word of God. In 1825, a Yale gospel group traversed the country evangelizing the world. Yale. Harvard. You ever heard of Dartmouth? Was founded to train as missionaries for the American Indians. How about Princeton? Oh, in its early days, insisted that the faculty be convinced of the necessity of religious experience for salvation. Uh, many well-known schools of similar beginnings started during this time. You ever heard about Jonathan Edwards? He was of this time. We find George Whitfield, the one leading the great awakening of revivals. Benjamin Franklin, Wilbur Wilberforce, Robert Rakes. He was the inventor or the creator of the Sunday school. David Brainerd, the missionary to the Indians. Peter Cartwright, the circuit rider preacher of Kentucky and Tennessee and Illinois for over 50 years. David Livingston, he was a Scottish physician. He was a missionary to Africa. D. Watt Moody, R.A. Torrey, Fanny Crosby, the blind woman that wrote many, many of the hymns in your book that you have tonight. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. And on and on and on. Well, what are you saying, Brother Larry? I'm saying that in 1611, the King James Version was published to the English-speaking people. And from 1611, we find that in the 1700s, friend, to the 1900s, there was a great explosion of Jesus coming and indwelling the lives of people and churches and missionaries and lives were changed for the glory of God because there's now a holy scriptures that makes you wise unto salvation and through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now here's the devil was seeing it and watching it. Remember what I'm preaching about. I'm preaching, preaching about the devil's plan. He said back there, he's saying, Whew. I mean, things are really rolling right here. I mean, I'm losing a lot of children. I mean, they're snatching them right out of my hand every single day. Thousands and millions are just getting born again. Guess what day or the time when this West God in heart decided to bring forth their new version of the English Bible that they say is going to correct and replace the King James Version, 1881. Isn't that so? 1881, the devil said, Ooh, come out. I'm going to put a stop to this stuff. 1881, that Bible came out. That Bible that's different than all other Bibles. Different than the King James Bible. That text came out. And now the last age is 1900 to the age in which we live today, 2024. And in Revelation chapter 3, that church is called the Laodiceans. If you notice, it says, under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Mm -hmm. If you look at the rest of them, they say the church of Sardis, the church in Philadelphia, the church in Thyatira, the church in Pergamos, uh, the church... Uh, that is in Smyrna, of uh, the church that is of Ephesus. You notice that? But when you get to the church of Laodiceans, you'll find something different. 
And the tape, what we have is we have a, a society of an age of the 1900s, and it began in the 1900s. Uh, Brother Charles was telling me uh, some things about during this period of time. This when all of the, the Pentecostals started. The speaking in tongues started. 1901 by a woman. The first one who spoke in tongues was a Pentecostal. Uh, we'll find all these other religions, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, the Seventh-day Adventists. All these started coming up at this period of time. Now, all this didn't happen under the King James. What happened under the King James was salvation. Hallelujah. Preaching and missionaries and, and souls being saved. All of a sudden, here comes this other version. And now we find ourselves in the church of Laodiceans. Well, when the church of Laodiceans with this Bible, because this Bible is used more than this Bible, in pulpits and by many people tonight, that other Bible... The Bible, that word that way of Laosian means people's opinions or people judges. It means the, the people's church. That's what it means. The people rules. So we find that the majority of churches today are using the West Scott and Hort Bibles. They're using the Mormon, the, the modern Bibles. Do you know today there's missions that are less? Do you know there's more people coming home from missionaries, coming home from the mission field than ever? Do you know tonight that there's less missionaries going to the field than ever? Right. Wonder what the difference is. Yeah. Do you know tonight revivals? How many evangelism uh, revivals that are taking place that are really revivals? Mm. Now we have revival meetings. We got revivalists. Right. We got evangelists. We got a bunch of people going all over the country, all over the world, preaching so-called revivals, but you don't see revivals. No. Wonder why? You see less people going to the mission field. You see more people coming off the mission field. You're seeing less people saved. Right. You're seeing the majority. A lot of churches closed. Right. You're seeing pastors last for three years, the max in the church, and they quit. The churches, the 50% of all churches today uh, that you'll find in America is less attended. Right. I mean, all of everything that was going on between 1700 to 1900 has now declined drastically. Right. And we're barely moving. Yes. We're barely going. Mm-hmm. Not very much is happening. It seems like things are come to a slow, if not to a stop. Yeah. Now I wonder what it could be. The so-called Christian church today is worldly. Uh-huh. Uh, Jesus said to that church, as he as they was talking to him, he said this tonight, and pretty much it just it describes them. He says, I know thou works that thou art neither cold nor hot, and I would that thou wert cold or hot. And so then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, and poor and blind and naked. And then he goes and tells him, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and sup with him, and he with me. Amen. Now, church, we've got to think for just a moment. In 1611, the King James Version come forth. We find starting in the 1700s, 
the breakout. All the way up to 1900. I mean, it was on for God. 1881. These other manuscripts, these other texts. And then these other modern versions come out. NIV, ESV, Living Bible. On and on and on and on. And those Bibles begin to filtrate the churches. Begin to filtrate the pulpit. They began to get into the homes. They began to, to move along. They began to, to begin to get in the minds of people. Beginning to get into the messages of preachers. It began to get into the hearts. But today we see nothing. And the only place you see anything much going is, is churches that have the King James Bible. Churches that preaches the King James and people who live the King James. I'm just saying tonight, the devil's dates. When he saw what was happening in 1790, the 1900, 1881, he brought in his Bible. Uh -huh. 312, whenever the church was, was, was put with, the, when the church was together and married uh, to Rome, he put a stop to that. Uh -huh. 312. All I'm saying tonight is this church, is there's a Bible out there. There's the Holy Scriptures tonight. And there is a time, friend, as the Bible has said in 2 Timothy tonight. Turn there with me. We'll close. 2 Timothy chapter uh, 4. and verse 3, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, what is sound doctrine? We already established that. That's the King James Bible. Uh -huh. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. And be turned unto fables. Tonight this is where we are. In our society. In the churches today. And where lives of people are today. Friend I tell you this. With all honesty. And with all my heart tonight. The King James Bible version. For the English speaking people. Is the inerrant and infallible. Preserved. Holy. Perfect scripture that will make you wise on the salvation through Jesus, through faith of Jesus Christ our Lord, friend. I'm telling you without a shadow of a doubt in my heart tonight that that Bible will lead you unto God. It will lead unto revival. It will lead unto missionaries. It will lead unto the souls of men. It will change your life. It will change you for eternity. It will give you a heaven. It will give you a heaven. It will give you a place in heaven. You'll live like a child of God. You'll live like a child of God. You'll be a child of God. And the only Bible here this evening for English speaking people is the King James Version Bible. Amen. That's it. There's nothing else to be said. Brother, don't you, oh, I, I got, he got an NIV Bible. I know that's blasphemous. <laughs> but I want him to read something to y'all tonight because I want you to hear it with your own words. Brother, won't you, won't you read to us tonight Matthew chapter 17, verse 21. I'm going to read it to you tonight, and he's going to read it to you. I just want you to hear it yourself tonight. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 21. I'll read it. How be it, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. You read it, Brother Charles. 17 and 20. 17, 21. 
It's not there. It's not there. Now I'm going to ask you a question, church. Is that a Bible? The NIV. The most popular Bible. The Bible where most preachers are preaching from. You'll go to anybody today, they'll take the NIV over the KJV any time of the day. It's omitted. Brother, go to 1811. Chapter 18, verse 11. It says, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. It's not here. It's omitted. That's important. important. That's a very pretty important verse. Do you think? It's not there. Let's go to another one. I don't want to bore you with this, but I want to go to Acts chapter 8, verse 37. I'm talking about this is an important verse. 8.37 says this, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He's talking about what doth hinder us to be baptized in verse 36. He said, Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered, talking about the eunuch, he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's talking about what does it take to be baptized. This is what it takes. It, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You read it, brother. It's not there. It's not there. Wow. It's omitted. Let's go to another one. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13. The Bible says this. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous. But sinners to repentance. That's the King James Bible. What do you say for the Charles? For the NIV. It's not there. Matthew 9, 13. It's not there. It's not there. Matthew chapter 25. Verse 13. Matthew 25, 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. What is your say? Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Right, let, me read, let, me read, let me read the KJV. You tell me if this is the same. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. What does the NIV say? Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour, period. Is that the same? No. They just, they, they just decided to skip out wearing the Son of Man coming. Right. <laughs> Let me give you another one. Look in uh, Luke chapter 4 and verse 4. King James Version says, And Jesus answered, him saying, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. What is your say? Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, period. Well, they skipped. Well, they, what did they put in there? Well, they didn't put in there, but the every word of God. Is that the same? Let me give you another one. Turn to John chapter 10 and verse 30. I got another one after this and we'll close. I think the point's probably being made. There's over 3,000 differences. 
between the two versions. John chapter 10, verse 30, it says, I and my Father are one. What does it say? I and the Father are one. It says the same? On 30? On 30. I and my Father are one. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. The Bible says I and my Father is one. That's big. Yeah. That's big. Because that verse is telling us there's no deity. This verse is telling you there's a deity. For he's the son. He said, my father. One more. First John chapter 5, verse 7. One of my favorite verses right here. First John 5, 7. The Bible says of the King James, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. What does your say? For there are three that testify... That's it. Wow. So the NIV says there are three that testify. Now, what will be the following questions? What three? And what do they testify? Let's read the King James Bible and see if it's much easier to understand. There are three that, that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Which one is an easier one to read? KJV. Which one is more confusing and have no idea what you're talking about? The NIV. It's just very clear, very plain tonight that there's no confusion, there's no interruption. Revelation chapter 22 says this tonight. In verse 18, I testify unto every man that heareth the words of my prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto him, shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Tonight, we honestly can say that those of Westcott and Hart who came forth with that text and then the NIV Bible was translated from that text that they violated those scriptures. Because the King James Bible is the true word of God. Amen. Church, this church, and I pray you'd stay with me and stick with me. We will stand on the King James Version. Yes, amen. Until God moves me out of here, raptures me out, or whatever, this is what we're standing on. Amen. 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 Are y'all in agreement with that? Yes. Anybody pose that tonight? You can just pack up and leave. We'll open the door for you. We'll walk you to your car. We'll start the car. I'll give you $20 to go buy you a Dairy Queen hamburger, French fry, and a drink with a, with a uh, blizzard. Amen. Church, I, I hope this, this day is pretty plain and wild that we preach and teach in the Word of God, the King James. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together tonight. Now, I'm not going to get ugly about it. I'm not going to get arrogant about it or get mean about it. I'm just going to be confident about it. So, here, we're going to keep on keeping on as we do. And because we feel like...
that this is the Bible for the English-speaking people, and everything else is inferior, and everything else today will not work. That's what God would want it to work. I believe I've shown you history. I've shown you Bible. I've shown you facts. I've shown you truth. And we've given you everything that I know how to give you to make sure that you make your own mind up of what Bible is the Bible that God has given to us in the day in which we live. Amen. Now, if you're not saved tonight, won't you come get born again? There's no other version out there going to bring you salvation. The King James Version tonight will show you and make you wise unto salvation. Won't you come? Won't you come to Jesus? Won't you come to him tonight?